1: Good afternoon Bay Area. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, broadcasting from my palatial offices in San Jose, California. If you've ever been to my office, you know they're not palatial, but they're comfortable and they're kind of homey as well. I just came off of doing two of my Living Trust seminars at the Camden Community Center here in San Jose. They were not as well attended as I hoped, but the People who did come seemed to learn a lot and uh, have a good time, and they were entertained as well. I always promise at my seminars that uh, people, when they come, that time will go by quickly. They will learn a lot, and they will be entertained, and I think I delivered on that the last two nights. A little bit tired today because I'm not used to staying up that late, especially doing uh, seminars, but let you all know, if you missed those seminars and those of you who came who are my listeners, thank you for coming. It was good to see some of my listeners at the seminars in the last two days. But if you didn't get a chance to come and you're interested in finding out about Living Trust Planning, I have already now scheduled my next seminar, which will be on Saturday morning, 9 o'clock a.m., December 14th. So that is about nine days before Christmas, but it's a good time to consider maybe coming and learning about and starting the process of doing an estate plan for your family. Um, I don't expect you'll get anything done before the end of the year, but come to one of my seminars and learn about it. If I find that 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 seminar starts filling up pretty quickly, I will likely add a second one at 12 o'clock noon on the same day. December 15th. So uh, please consider that when uh, when you are uh, registering. You can register through my website at lawbob.com or you can go to eventbrite.com and search for Living Trust Seminar on December 14th in San Jose. Now uh, we got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of weeks now and uh, my family, we're actually going to go away for Thanksgiving this year. We're going to take a little trip down. And uh, for the first time, my kids will go to Universal Studios. And then I think we're also planning to uh, to take a day trip and do the Warner Brothers Studios tour. Uh, that will be the second time that my children have been on that tour because the first time... It was my wife and I on that tour, and my wife was several months pregnant with our children at that time. Um, Of course, my my daughters didn't appreciate that tour the first time around because they were still inside their mother. But this time, I think they're going to appreciate it a lot more. Uh, It's one of those studio tours I can hardly recommend to people, especially if you sign up for the advanced tour or what they call their... VIP tour because you get to see a lot of places and things that the general public uh, won't really see otherwise. A lot of fun, a lot of history. If you love film, if you love television, it's a great place to go for a studio tour. Now, if you'd like to call in today because you have a question you'd like me to answer or talk with you on the air, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800 800-516- 516 1220 my sound engineer Marco is standing by to take your call so please feel free to give a call or you can email me any of your questions at radio at lawbob.com that's my dedicated email for any kind of inquiries from the show lawbob of course is my domain that uh, I've owned for about 20 years um, so I've actually had an internet presence as an attorney for about 20 years now. I think if you kind of look at that in the context of the internet as a whole, I've kind of, uh, been on the internet since the mid 1500s, <laughs> um, long time to be on the, on the internet 20 years, but, um, that's what I have been doing. So, um, I had a, a website for my law practice while most attorneys still, um, we're trying to figure out how to use computers. So, so here I am today, 20 years later and, um, proud of the work I've done as an attorney, proud of the work I've done on my website, which I think a lot of people enjoy when they go there. I invite you to visit my website at lawbob.com and search around. There's a lot of interesting articles and other information there. I think you'll find it worthwhile to do that. Now, continuing on with the approach I've taken uh, since I started this show um, about 14 months, 14, 15 months ago. um, I'm going to go on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I'm going to start with a very straightforward one um, and maybe clear up some confusion that people might have. The question came, um, a revocable living trust. Does it require the signature of any additional witnesses besides the grantor, or creator of the trust, and a notary public. So, um, let's start first by saying, if you create any kind of a trust in the state of California, all you really need to do is date it and sign it. It has no requirement that it be witnessed or that it be notarized by a notary public. A lot of people assume that a trust has to be notarized. That's not the case. At least in California, it's not the case. Some states do require notarization. Uh, The state of Florida requires witnesses to the signing of the will, not notarization. Um, um, You could have a notary, but you also need witnesses, much like you need witnesses for a will that would be filed with the court after you died. So, in this case, no, there aren't doesn't need to be any additional witnesses to have a valid living trust. You don't even have to have your signature notarized. You just need it dated and signed Now, notarization is considered the much better practice because you have an independent party that is in effect authenticating that the person that signed that document is the person they said they were because that notary has looked at identification issued by a government, some kind of government ID like a driver's license or passport. And they have put that information down in a notary journal and maybe also have have taken a right thumbprint, which is my practice, a right thumbprint of the person signing the trust. So you have some physical evidence as well that the um, that the trust was signed by the person that it says it did. That is to kind of head off claims of it being a forgery um, or that someone was coerced. If you have a notary there, you have independent witness that can maybe testify as to what the circumstances were when the document was signed. Now here's a, again, another, I think a pretty straightforward and pretty simple question. Is it better to have an attorney who specializes in living trust prepare your living trust? Well, Showing my obvious bias, since I'm board certified in estate planning, trust, and probate law, I would say the answer is absolutely yes. People think that living trusts are easy. They think that estate planning is easy. They've been led to believe that by publishers of self-help books and self-help websites out there. You know who they are. I'm not going to use their names on the air. But... um You cannot talk with an attorney through those self-help avenues. You can also not talk with an attorney on a website. You need to talk with an attorney that knows what they're doing when it comes to estate planning, such as myself, because the mistakes that can be made because you don't know the questions to ask or what needs to be answered. I spend a fair amount of my time cleaning up problems like that for families. So I would say, yes, use someone that that can actually help out. So after the break, we'll continue with more Plan Your State Radio with your host, Bob Bergman.
0: Let's face it, we love Alexa, and we love to let her find your favorite radio station. This one, of course. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California because i find that um i get feedback from people um uh, i get feedback from people that um that actually um hear the show and they realize that uh it is a situation that applies to them so um i'm going to continue doing that i find that um uh, it's kind of a useful exercise all around because i don't know who's listening any given day and hopefully something i say is going to hit them the right way and they're either going to take action or they're going to be reminded of something and, and maybe get a problem solved for them. That's what I'm here for is to solve problems for you. Um, that's kind of my purpose as an attorney is to help people out with their situations. Now here's a question. person saying they have a house that's, um, that is in a trust but the house title only has the name of the trust and the trustees' names are not on the title. Do the trustees' names have to be on the title? I think the shorter answer is no, but the bigger answer is yes, they really should be on the title of the property because if you go to try to refinance or sell the property, you need to have the name of the person who's in charge of that trust on the title of the property. So, If it just says Smith family trust on it, as opposed to John Smith and Jane Smith trustees of the Smith family trust, you don't know who has the authority to actually deal with that property. That's the problem. A trust by itself is just uh, an, an empty box. Uh, You put ownership of assets into the trust, but with real estate, You have to have the name of the trustee on that title because that's how people know who they can deal with. So uh, and I do see that I I see that now and then people walk in and they have uh, their property in the trust and it just names the trust that with one of the things there that doesn't even necessarily tell you which Smith family trust we're talking about. You need to have the names of the trustees so you can narrow it down to the actual trustees that would be involved on that trust. Now here, someone says we got an irrevocable trust. We need to get a loan to make repairs on the properties, the real estate that's owned by this trust. Is this possible? What kind of lender do we go to? Um, So here's the deal. When there's an irrevocable trust, it's typically harder to get a loan against real estate owned by an irrevocable trust um, unless the irrevocable trust has a lot of cash flow, like income from other sources that could be used to repay those loans. But the main thing is uh, some lenders don't want a loan to irrevocable trusts because they don't think that the trustee has the authority to borrow. That's virtually never the case. Most loans will have provisions that say the trustee May borrow against the property, hypothecate, which means um, grant a security interest against the property. In this state, we use a deed of trust to secure a loan. Um, but you may have to go to uh, someplace other than a commercial bank. Uh, the major commercial banks aren't aren't really keen on making loans to irrevocable trusts, which means you might have to go to what's called a hard money lender. Now that's going to be an individual or a mortgage broker that represents individual investors or investment groups and uh, make a loan that way. Uh, Those hard money loans typically cost more to get the loan, more points to originate the loan, and they often have higher interest rates as well. So uh, an irrevocable trust can get a loan on real estate But as a rule, it will tend to be more difficult unless there's a lot of other assets in the trust and a lot of positive cash flow from the trust that could be demonstrated is available to make the payments on the loan on that real estate in the irrevocable trust. Now, here's someone who says they're the beneficiary of a trust and the trustee will not do his job as trustee. How can I get a copy of the trust? I'll start first by saying that when the person died that created that trust, uh, the, the one who created that trust, you as a beneficiary were entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust right then. A notice should have been sent out to you under probate code such in 16061.7 that says, hey, you're a beneficiary of this trust. You're entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust just ask for it now if this person was never given that notice then the trustee is definitely not doing his or her job because that's a requirement of law that that notice go out so for this person i would say how do i get a copy of the trust write a letter send it certified to the trustee demanding a copy of the trust as you're entitled to under the law if the trustee refuses to provide that then your next step is probably to go to court and ask the court to remove the trustee as the trustee of the trust because they're not responding, they're not doing their job. That's uh that's kind of all you can do if you have a trustee who's not doing their job, is to go to court and ask that they be removed by the court and replaced with someone who will do the job. Now here's kind of a uh an unusual question as it's not, strictly speaking, an estate planning question, but it does impact estate planning. The question goes like this. The trustee on a trust will not distribute assets to a beneficiary or provide them an accounting. The beneficiary has petitioned the court to compel a distribution and have an accounting provided. This will happen in January of next year. So the question is, If this trustee is also a California real estate agent and realtor, can they be held accountable for questionable ethics acting as a trustee? In other words, uh, for violating fiduciary obligations as a trustee, could the real estate agent's license be attacked and perhaps suspended um, by the by the Department of Real Estate, because of their actions, I think the short answer is if you can demonstrate that this realtor acting as trustee acted in an unethical manner, violating fiduciary obligations, that might be sufficient to have their real estate license put at risk, much like the same thing that would happen if the person happened to be an accountant or an attorney. And engaged in questionable activities as a trustee that could rebound back and uh, bounce off of them and hurt them in their other professional life. There, uh, here's, um, uh, well, let's see, we're coming up on the mid show break, so I think what I'll do is just reiterate uh, you can call in 800 516 1220, you can email me your questions at radio at lawbob.com dot com and I'm happy to answer questions on the air or one submitted to me by email um, I love doing that that's one of the main reasons I do this show is to educate everyone out there and give you some ammunition sometimes to go back and get what you need and what you want out of estate planning so when we come back after the break I'll continue with the second half of the show plan your state radio this is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break.
0: Prescription products require an online physician consultation and are only available if the physician determines a prescription is appropriate. Subscription video with Attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back. Let's continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, Here is one. Looks like it's out of San Diego. Someone asked the question, if an attorney changes the name of the trust when he restates the trust, do the assets in the trust need to be retitled? Okay. So let's see. Um, So this attorney was hired, said the trust needed to be restated, when the attorney restated the trust, the name was changed from the, the John D. and Jane E. Smith Trust to the John D. Smith and Jane E. Smith Trust. So basically it looks like what the attorney did was put the last name of the husband where it just had like John and Jane. Now it says John Smith and Jane Smith. Do the assets need to be retitled to avoid probate when my mother dies? I think the answer there is not really because if it's a restatement, um, it's basically just putting in a new trust document in place of the original trust document. And if it has the same trustees, the same establishment date, and the name is close, I don't think there would be an issue. I would say that the attorney should not have changed the name at all. If you're going to do a restatement, you keep the original name, you keep the original establishment date, you don't change the name and you certainly don't put the new date on as the date of the restated trust. That then can mess things up because the restated trust uh, will have a different date on it than the original trust and things that are owned by the original trust will probably have that original date on them. So there's really a proper way to do things like a restatement of a trust. We actually call it an amendment and restatement because what we're basically doing is um uh, what we're basically doing is turning around and and uh just making changes to the trust, but we're changing the whole trust document at once. That's why we call it An amendment which is the change but the restatement is doing the whole thing all over again okay so here let's see says my mom died two years ago without a will my dad and mom were married for 30 years right after my mom died my dad right away married his mistress okay I will just set that to one side they were married for less than two years My dad passed away without a will this month. My stepmom is now claiming she owns my parents' home that my mother and dad paid in full before my mother died. So let me tell you what the issues are here. If dad died without a will, that's called dying intestate. Intestate means no will, no last will and testament. Dying intestate means we have to now look at How did dad own this property um, with the previous with the previous mother, the the mother who had died before? Now, if mom and dad were on the title, let's call them John and Jane Smith. If John and Jane Smith were on the title of the house and then Jane died two years ago and then John remarries and he marries uh, June and then John dies. The question becomes, what does the title on the property actually say? Does the title still say uh, John Smith and Jane Smith, the original owners, and there was never any action taken to clear that title? Does the title say now just John Smith because he took action to clear his deceased wife's name off the title? Um. Or did he do that and then add June, his new wife, formerly his mistress, to the title? And now it says John Smith and June Smith. And then it depends on, does it say joint tenancy? Does it say community property? A lot of different things enter into this question. But if it was always just in John Smith's name, or John Smith and his previous wife Jane Smith's name, and then he dies without a will, intestate. First thing is you have to clear the deceased wife's name off the title to get it into the name of the surviving spouse. That's Dad, John Smith. And then you have to look and say, okay, if it's just in his name, it will have to go through probate, but it might very well be that it's his separate property, even though he remarried. And if that's the case, The laws of intestate succession, fancy legal language for who gets your stuff when you die, if you don't have a will or a trust, you didn't do any planning. Well, in a situation like that, the law would say we don't automatically give it to his new wife. Instead, if it's his separate property, separate from that marriage, we divide it between his new wife and any children he may have. If he has a spouse and one child, then they split it 50-50. Each gets one half of the property. If he has a wife and two or more children, then one-third goes to the wife. Two-thirds go and are divided between however many children there are. If there's two, they each get a third. If there's ten children, well, they divide that two-thirds ten different ways. That's how the law basically works. The only way the stepmother could claim she owns the house is if she had joint tenancy ownership with with the dad or community property ownership with the dad. The dad would have had to take actual action to put his new wife on the title of the house for her to claim that she owns the whole thing and that's pretty much uh, the analysis right there. Uh, It may or may not help those of you out there, but I'm sure there's other people in similar situations. I've heard that people get divorced and remarry, and then the new stepfather or stepmother always wants to keep everything um, and deny anything to the children of the first marriage. That happens a lot, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I don't agree with it, and I'm hoping that you don't agree that it's a good idea or that it's cool. But you know what? That's why you do, <coughs> excuse me, that's why you do estate planning so that you don't end up in situations like the one I just described where it looks like this child is going to have a fight to get his or her share of dad's house away from the stepmother because I'm sure the stepmother's living there and she's just staying there. She says, I don't have to do anything. It's my property now. That's a, There's a big fight coming for that family, and it could have been avoided with proper planning. Now, here's an excellent question, because I'm sure people... Now, some people have heard of these transfer-on-death deeds for their home. It's a fairly new thing here in California. Um, they've had them in other states for a long time, but here in California, it's only been the last two, three years, we've had this transfer on death deed. This person out of Santa Ana in Orange County saying, I have a condo. I was told by everyone that in order to avoid probate, gift tax, appreciation tax, creating a trust is the only way to do it. But I found a revocable transfer on death deed online, and it seems to accomplish all this for a very small fee. Is there any downfall to doing it this way? Where do I begin? The first thing is a transfer on death deed. It only takes effect when you die and it's revocable, which means that you can make a deed like that and say, I'm going to leave my house to my son John. And then two years later, you decide, I want to leave the house to my daughter Jane instead. So what you do is you record a new transfer on death deed, now naming Jane as the beneficiary to get the property when you die, and now it's replaced the earlier one. But here's some of the problems with the transfer on death deed. First of all, like any transfer or pay on death uh, designation, if the person you named dies before you, then the transfer on death deed does not work at all. What will happen is when you die, that property will go into the probate Process because it's in your intestate, or even if you had a will, it's going to go through probate to be passed on to whoever would inherit it other than the person that you actually named on that transfer on death deed. But the other real problem with it is a more practical one. It might be very difficult to find a title insurance company in the state of California that will issue title insurance if that person that receives the property now goes to sell that property or refinance that property, they may be hesitant to issue title insurance until there is a passage of time, say a couple years or so where they can be sure that no one else is going to come forward and claim they own the property. So it doesn't really create a clean title to the property Because you don't know if someone's going to challenge the deed. Uh, Maybe the person that got the property uh, falsified it, induced the person to sign it over to them. Person maybe wasn't mentally competent to do that. All kinds of things that could be attacked. And they don't want to insure the title and then find out they have to defend a lawsuit. Someone else claiming that the title should not have gone to the person that received it with the transfer on death designation. Well, we're coming up on the third break for the show today. I'll give the number out one more time today, 800-516-1220. That's if you'd like to call in and talk with me. Otherwise, when we come back after the break, I will just continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So, 800-516-1220, if you want to call in today, otherwise we'll talk with you after the break this is your host bob bergman estate planning attorney plan your estate radio talk with you in the final segment coming up shortly
0: now back to plan your estate radio once again your host estate planning trust and probate law specialist attorney bob bergman
1: Hi, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show today, and I thought I would uh, cover just a few more topics, including one that I'm going to probably spend the bulk of our time left today discussing. First thing, though, is we have uh, someone out of Santa Monica that indicated his father died in May of this year and left a living trust. Uh, This person is not the successor trustee of the trust, but before Dad died... Uh, um, I moved in, uh, with him to take care of him. Dad drew up a signed California lease rental agreement stating that I can stay in the house as long as I wish. That agreement was notarized. Can the trustee of the trust now kick me out? Trustee wants to sell the house for the profits. It's the biggest asset of the trust. Well, the short answer is it depends entirely on the terms of that lease rental agreement. If it says you can stay provided you pay rent in the amount of X dollars, then you look and say, is, how long is the lease for? Is it for one year? Is it for five years? Is it for, um, you know, whatever it is? You have to look at the terms of the lease. If the lease says you can stay there rent-free, then again, how long can you stay there rent-free? The issue is uh, not whether or not um, the person can be kicked out, but whether they have a legal right to stay in the house, and this rental agreement is going to spell out exactly the right to stay in the house and what the terms and conditions are. If it is an actual lease, and says you have the right to stay here for um, as long as you wish, then it may actually not be a lease so much as granting what's called a life estate in the property, meaning you have the right to live there for your lifetime. And that would maybe be a modification of the dad's trust, um, almost considered an amendment to the trust, especially if it was signed and notarized. And so this right here, that raises a triable issue of fact as to just what the effect of this lease agreement is and whether the trustee can evict this person who has this lease who may actually have a life estate in the property and not just a lease. And if that's the case, then we've got the situation where Hmm, probably looking at um, a court case ahead there for this particular family. Here, okay, Uh, mom passed in her trust. It says that she wanted me to have a home. Um, How is the deed taken out of the trust and put in my name? Or does it stay in the trust name with my name added to the deed? Well, it would be the trustee of the trust transferring the property out of the trust into the name of the beneficiary um, doing a distribution of the property to that beneficiary so now the beneficiary actually owns the, the house in their own name you're not added to the deed with the trust uh, it's transferred out of the trust and that's presuming of course that that the trust doesn't say to keep property in trust as part of the transfer so that's a, that's a whole separate issue And um, and it's a different type of planning that I often use uh, for clients that are concerned about um, someone losing an inheritance. So I'm about to go into the last uh, issue today. And here's a question. Here's a person says, I'm the only beneficiary in a special needs trust with a lifelong beneficial ownership of a property that's paid for held in that trust and that was signed over to a successor trustee to take care of me. Can the successor trustee file an unlawful detainer against me for living in a house that I'm living in legally? The trust states the trust properties to be managed only in the best interest of the beneficiary held for his use and a lifelong beneficial interest. The trustee gave me a 60-day notice and then filed an unlawful detainer. The trustee did not offer any other place for me to live and went so far as to say it was not up to her to provide housing because it was a special needs trust. She claims sole ownership of the property as trustee as a rental and asked for damages for malice against me because I didn't move. She wants to sell the property. I can't care for myself on a daily basis. Without this house, I'd be homeless and on the streets. Well, let me tell you right here. First of all, this is an outrageous situation. And the trustee of this trust is supposed to be looking out solely for the best interests of the beneficiary. If the beneficiary is a special needs person, which the situation says they are, the beneficiary is acting irrationally, unethically, illegally and certainly against the terms of the trust. This is the type of trustee that should be removed from the trust and a trustee put in that's actually going to look out for the best interests of the beneficiary. Well, our time's almost up for today. Maybe have about 45 seconds left. I just want to let you all remind you all, I do have a living trust seminar at my office coming up in the middle of December, December 14th, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., you can register through lawbob.com or go to eventbrite.com and register there. But I'm about to start a nice weekend. My family's going to see Les Mis at Presentation High School here in San Jose. Looking forward to it. Great musical. I hope they do a great job. So until next week, this is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. I hope you all have a great weekend. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L A W B O B lawbob.com or call his office in San Jose 408 247 0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.